Hey everyone, before we get to the podcast, I've got a few con announcements. First, are you going to Gen Con? Guess what? So are Jeff Greiner, Rudy Basso, and I. If you want to see us, we're going to do a live roundtable at 5 p.m. the Friday of Gen Con. That's 5 p.m. on Friday, August 5th in the Crown Plaza in the Grand Central Ballroom D. Look for it when the Gen Con event schedule comes out. Details on more panelists and an after-party with games and food and more stuff to come. Can't wait to meet you all in Indianapolis. Then, I wanted to tell you that I'm going to be a featured guest at Roll20Con. What is Roll20Con? Well, it's an online convention run by my favorite virtual table. It's going to be run for 24 hours starting on June 3rd, and it doesn't have just me. James D'Amato, Adam Coble, Nolan Jones, Anna Prosser-Robinson, Margaret Crone, and so many other RPG superstars are going to be there. You can get all the details at Roll20Con.net. All right, let's start the show. Hello and welcome to the D&D Roundtable on the Tome Show Podcast Network. I'm your host, James Intracasso. If this is your first time listening, welcome to the show. If you've been here before, do me a favor. Go give us a baller rating on iTunes. It helps us so much. Seriously, if you've been listening to the Tome Show and paying nothing for it, but you want to help support us, go rate us. It takes less than a minute of your time. We do shout-outs to listeners who give us a great rating on the air. I'll read at least one new five-star review verbatim each episode and credit the person who left it. Make me say anything you want, but keep it clean, people. It's a family D&D news podcast. Here are the words of Tim Family with a review entitled, My Go-To Podcast for RPG Information. The Tome Show is my go-to podcast for RPG information. The combination of enlightening news and insightful interviews makes this a joy to listen to. I particularly like the variety of guests, ranging from long-time industry greats to up-and-coming writers. The tone is light and positive, and a great deal of care clearly goes into the editing of each episode. I'm happy to have discovered The Tome Show. Well, thank you so much, Tim Family. I don't know if you're a guy whose name is Tim Family, or if you are a family with the last name Tim. But whoever you are, you are awesome, and thank you for giving us an awesome rating. Please use the affiliate links on the tomeshow.com whenever you shop on Amazon or the DMs Guild to help support this show. Just go to the tomeshow.com, click on the links in the show notes for this episode or any other episode, and then shop as you normally would. Today, we're talking to my good friend, D&D V&G creator and host, and OG roundtable panelist, Rudy Basso. Why? He and I have created a new fantasy radio drama podcast comedy called Have Spellbook Will Travel, and it's dropping this Wednesday. That's Wednesday, May 4th. May the 4th be with you. And may Have Spellbook Will Travel be in your podcast feed. And it will be, because it's going to be in the Tome podcast feed, at least the first episode. Then it's moving over to its own feed. This podcast is the brainchild of Rudy, and he did the lion's share of the work getting it created, getting it edited, getting it recorded, and getting it out there on the airwaves. He made an awesome website, and it is his brilliant idea. I cannot tell you how happy I am to talk about it with all of you. You are going to love this podcast. Have spelled book will travel. Then I've got an interview with Pete Barrenechea and Henry Lopez of Paradigm Concepts to discuss their world of Arcanus. It's a D&D campaign setting that was created during the third edition days. They're converting and updating their world for fifth edition. 
and they have an awesome, already-funded Kickstarter going on right now for Forged in Magic. It's a tome of 400-plus magic items for 5e. Then, it's an interview with game designer Mike Mylar about his Kickstarter for Mists of Akuma. Mists of Akuma is an Eastern fantasy noir steampunk campaign setting for 5th edition D&D. Mike is amazing, you'll recognize his name and his work. And this campaign setting is fun, ambitious, rich, and awesome. Plus, if the Kickstarter super funds, guess who gets to design one of the stretch goals? It's me! Alright, let's roll our first interview with Rudy Basso. Everybody, I'm here with my main man and frequent roundtable panelist and host of the D&D V&G podcast and all-around awesome dude, Rudy Basso. Rudy, what's up, man? How are you, my man? I'm so excited to talk to you about this thing. I'm excited, too. Dude, this is a a really, really cool project that you approached me about, uh, I want to say, maybe two years ago? So this uh, is- yeah, it was a while ago. <laughs> well, it's a it's a massive, massive undertaking. Um, this this podcast called Have Spellbook Will Travel that uh, that you've embarked on, that, that I've been helping you with, that a lot of other friends and stuff have been helping with you with. People may recognize... Uh, um, you know, Vegas Lancaster from the D&D V&G podcast coming on and uh, and doing some stuff and other roundtable panelists and things like that have been on there. Um, but let's talk a little bit about it. What is Have Spellbook Will Travel? Yeah, so I think, James, you've mentioned it a couple times. You've got a background in theater. I also have a background in theater. We both went to college and trained there. And, you know, I just I wanted to do something with all my theater friends And because, you know, a web series is so expensive and difficult, I thought, well, what about like a radio drama or a radio play? You know, we've had years and years of Dungeons and Dragons, years and years of exciting stories, some really, really funny moments. So I wanted to draw on those and kind of dramatize them, um, create new characters and just have my friends do the reading for them. So... Yeah, we wrote up some adventures, some episodes based on our adventures, and uh, edited it all together, bought some music, licensed some music, added some sound effects, and here we are. Uh, it's really exciting. It's It's been a lot of work and way longer than it should have been, but yeah, we're ready to, to get this going, and we're going to launch. Our first episode is going to be Wednesday, May 4th. Uh, I've talked to Mr. Jeff Griner, and it's going to show up on the Tome Show feed. So if people want to listen, just keep listening to to the Tome Show, and you will hear the first episode. You know, I'm really excited about this website. I commissioned this incredibly talented artist named Darcy D to draw up portraits for the characters, draw up portraits for the, a lot of the actors. It's havespellbook.com. Nice, nice. Well, and I'm going to encourage people to definitely stay tuned here to the the Tome Show feed because you will get that first episode. But you should also check out Have Spellbook Will Travel is going to have its own feed. So get the first episode through the Tome feed. If you want to get the rest of the episodes, you can find them on, you know, whatever podcatcher you like uh, by searching for Have Spellbook Will Travel, um, you know, and, and do all the things that help podcasts out. Uh, if you love the podcast, go subscribe, rate, um, help us out. Rudy's been putting a ton, a ton of time into this and a ton of 
blood, sweat, and tears, late nights editing and writing scripts and stuff like that. Uh, it is it is really genius. It's not actual play. This is a legit radio drama. I guess we should call it, even though it's really a comedy. It is yeah, really, yes. really it is, funny. It is very light in the theme. You know, I want to do some interesting things with the characters and, and definitely have drama there. But for the most part, it is meant to make you laugh. And, you know, there's some inside baseball D&D jokes there. But I'm trying to, to keep the the comedy kind of wide so everyone can enjoy it. And yeah, James, I mean, you hit it on the head. The first few weeks of a podcast, really important in terms of getting visibility on things like iTunes. If you jump in there with a lot of subscribers and a lot of listens, you can be featured. So it would be so exciting to me if that was the case. You know, do do a solid for your old pal Rudy and James, your old pals Rudy and James. Uh, hit that subscribe button on iTunes. Hit that. I guess follow button on Stitcher. I don't even know what it is. <laughs> um, but just, yeah, just head on over to the website, have Spellbook, or search us on iTunes. Have Spellbook, Will Travel, like that classic TV show, Have Gun Will Travel. I don't know if anyone oh, from sure. the 50s or 60s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Paladin, my man. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, oh, yeah. I, one of my favorite things about this is that it's funny but it's also got like a real story to it and there's a there's a real story arc honestly Rudy if I may uh, this is everything that I want the D&D movie to be um, it's entertaining it's fun but it's got a real story it's got some characters you actually care about at the heart of it uh, you know it's a great ensemble cast of these amazing voice actors uh, fun writing so so people should definitely check it out you'll you'll get to hear our voices we play Mm -hmm. two of the main characters um you know so so for nothing else check it out for that reason Uh, what's the first episode it's a half hour in length uh yeah they're about 20 minutes Mm -hmm. um all of them will be 15 to 20 25 minutes in that range it's about a mercenary adventuring party who kind of have to uh you know they work for this bigger guild. And I don't want to get too into the details, but it it's it's a story you've heard before, but told differently. I guess I don't know, told better. I hope. I uh, I think a lot of people will be able to relate to a lot of the characters and be like, oh yeah, I can tell this person is very like they must have taken this from someone at the table. He seems very like, and it's true. A lot of the characters are directly inspired by our friends, his characters in the game. Mm-hmm. I think uh I think people will really be able to to dig it. So, yeah. Please please listen. Yeah. Yeah. So please check it out. Um like we said it'll be in your Tome Show feed this Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Um so and if people want to go to the website, what is that website again, Rudy? Once again is havespellbook.com. Excellent. Excellent. And we will link that over at thetomeshow.com for people to check out, of course. And Rudy, uh, where can people find you on the internet if they want to shout at you? Sure. So you can follow me on Twitter at Rudy Basso, or you can follow the Twitter for Have Spellbook Will Travel at Have Spellbook. Awesome. Easy to remember. It's always Have Spellbook for wherever you need to find it. So I'm super excited for you, my man. This is great. Thank you so much for coming on the roundtable to uh, talk about it. Yeah, thank you, James, for being such a supportive friend. Thank you for inviting me to be part of the project. All right. All right. All right. I am here, everyone, with Henry Lopez and Pete Baranachea, uh, who are part of the 
team that created Arcanus, which was a setting that came out in 3rd edition. It is amazing. They're now working on 5th edition Arcanus. We're going to hear all about it. But before we get to that, gentlemen, I'd just like to welcome you to the show. Thank you for being on the roundtable today. Uh, but thank well, you for the invitation. Henry, why don't we start with you? Uh, let the people out there know if they haven't heard of you and all of your great achievements. Uh, who are you and uh, and what have you done in the tabletop role-playing game world? Once again, thank you very much for the, for the invitation. Uh, well, my name is uh, Henry Lopez, and um, we started myself, uh, Pete, uh, and two actually three other uh, partners, uh, Jim Beck, who's the art, art director, um, we started with Eric Weiner and Nelson Rodriguez, and we uh, created Paradigm Concepts back in uh, actually October of 2000. Although we love D and D, we've been playing D and D. I've been playing D and D since the 70s, and a lot of us, are, you know, um, a little bit older by about eight years than the rest of the guys. They probably started in the 80s or so. But we wanted to to offer something different. We wanted to offer a um, a more cohesive, um, epic story that people could participate in. And we started small uh, with uh, a little 32-page uh, uh, adventure called uh, The Spear of the Logan, where we introduced the, uh, the the seeds of Arcanus, and then it became very popular and kind of blew up from there. So I am basically the head writer uh, for uh, PCI. I've created uh, Arcanus, uh, The World of the Shattered Empires, Witch Hunter, The Invisible World, uh, Rotted Capes. Um, I love are, rotted capes. Uh, I, we're definitely going to talk a little bit more about that too, because it's a brilliant oh, great, idea great. for an RPG. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much. Um, and that's that's basically what um uh, what I um uh, I guess are are my uh, my credentials uh, for RPGs. I've done some some minor little freelance work, but more more of a as a favor to to a fellow industry person rather than than actually going out and looking for a job. Awesome. Awesome. Well, certainly thank you for everything you've done so far in the world of tabletop role-playing games. Well, well, thank you. very kind of you. And uh, and Pete, how about you? You've you've got some credentials yourself here uh, when we're talking about the wonderful world of Paradigm Concepts. Yeah, I was one of the first people to join up. Um, Actually, they already started the company when they brought me in. Originally, it was right when 3.0 came out. Uh, I was one of the original playtesters for 3.0. So I was really familiar with the system. Well, Henry knew that I was familiar with the system. So they brought me in as the mechanic monkey. From that point on, I just, you know, became part of the company and helped develop Arcanus from there. My main shtick is that monkey. I come up with rules, help write systems. Like the, the ARG system, um, the Arcanus role-playing game was a system we created after fourth edition came out and I was a uh, lead rules developer on it with Eric. And, um, and then after that, now with uh, fifth edition, I'm one of the lead rules developers for the fifth edition conversion. As a mechanics monkey, uh, wh- how <laughs> would you define that for people who maybe aren't as familiar with the design side of RPGs? It's, it's as much of an art as a science. Um, my day job, I'm an engineer. I do, uh, electrical mechanical plumbing for commercial, yeah, for commercial residential. So I'm good at numbers and percentages off the top of my head. So originally with 3.0 was very structured. Uh, you know, you had your, your, the game was very detailed. Everything had a rule. Um, the cool thing that we like about fifth edition is the fifth edition kind of went back to the old school playing where 
monster design is a lot more of a science. I mean, a lot more of an art than a science. So rules developing is just trying to come up with good mechanics that allow your players to have a good time and not get bogged down in minutia. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. And I think it's it's very true what you said about 5th edition. It's a really beautiful, elegant system in a lot of ways. And, and it's a nice blend of art and science kind of together. On that note of 5th edition, you guys are, are bringing Arcanus into the 5e world. It's kind of already there. If listeners are not familiar with the world of Arcanus, what is the world of Arcanus like? How is it different from all of the other published worlds out there that people can play in? Glad you asked. <laughs> so, yeah. so first and foremost, Arcanus is a world of epic fantasy, and by epic fantasy, I mean uh, that while you can do the um, uh, the world certainly has the uh, the background for you to do dungeon crawls and you know the, the what I would consider the quote unquote normal uh, type of adventures that you would have in a normal D and D game or your average D and D game. It goes beyond that by uh, delving into politics both uh, racial, uh, spiritual, um, and by spiritual, I mean uh, religious more than anything else, are the, the obviously the fake religions that I created for Arcanus, uh, as well as political and national. So everything uh, has conflict. There is no real happy medium or happy little kingdom where everybody's uh, you know, goody-goody two-shoes. What I, what I, when we created this, I was trying to pr- portray people real as possible. And in the sense of they have their their virtues and they have their their foibles, they have their flaws. Uh, we have um, heroes, some of the the greatest heroes of the original uh, living campaign, um, NPC wise, was a you know this this magnificent um, general, General Manesis, who extolled all these these virtues of the Koryani Empire, which I'll get to in a moment. Uh, but at the same token, he had a lot of flaws, and people saw. How those flaws were exploited by his enemies in the in the, uh, the story, but basically, Arcanus is a world of uh, grays. There is no real good guys. There are no real bad guys, with 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 a few notable notable exceptions. Everything is a shade of gray, and it all depends on your point of view. One of the greatest uh, compliments I ever had was uh, there was an adventure where I, that I wrote where the uh, the opponents were actually paladins. This was back in the 3.0 days, and People never never thought that they would, unless we we're playing an evil campaign, <laughs> found themselves in a position where they were actually fighting against lawful good paladins. Of course. And it's not because they were doing anything evil. It's just that their goals were contrary to your goals and vice versa, and therefore conflict. <laughs> I think that the uh, the Shades of Grey um, palette of Arcanus can be best uh, exemplified by the religion. We don't have good gods or evil gods we have the pantheon of man and out of that pantheon the various churches on earth or on arcanus are the ones that determine what aspects of each god so whether they're quote-unquote good or quote-unquote evil you know what what virtues and what um and what sins are are um, uh, highlighted for each each church so we have the mother church of corion which is a a nifty little meld of the the uh, Catholic Church with a multi multi deity, uh, what we call pantheonistic uh, religion, as opposed to the uh, the Church of the uh, the Dark Triumvirate, which are these uh, uh, church that venerates three of the, of the thirteen major gods, or twelve. I'm sorry, twelve major gods, et cetera, et cetera. And from there, it just goes on from uh, on down the line. 
as far as the uh, the nations or the people are concerned, um, instead of doing the um, a European medieval centric world, what I decided to do instead is that the main empire is uh, an analog to the ancient Roman Empire. So you're not hired by the you know the mayor or the the, the burgomaster or whatever. You're hired by a senator of of the Koryani Empire. You're hired by um, you know, the emperor's guards, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So you join legions, you can be a gladiator and it goes on from there. Obviously there's a lot of other, uh, uh, nations. Uh, we call it Arcanus, the world of the shattered empires is because all these, uh, megalithic or monolithic empires shattered. And you still have the core, which is in, in this case, the Koryani empire and all its satellite or successor nations that came around after the kingdom of Milandir, the theocracy of Canceri, the Republic of Altheria, et cetera, et cetera. You have sort of within this world of gray then maximized a lot of options for players to have their their backstories and you know places to be from. I feel like when you have a world that's gray, it's a little more like our real world and it creates a lot more diversity because of it you know in in your choices for where you're from and what your background was like because there's all kinds of religions and there's all kinds of countries and traditions and governments and things that you could be a part of. Yeah. Um, there's a, uh, it, the entire world of grace that Henry created also uh, creates this world where sometimes the hardest thing to be is a hero. Mm. Uh, when we've put out adventures, we put out adventures that have hard moral choices where we've had entire tables look at each other and they're like, actually the, that was Henry's compliment. My best compliment was, I'm running a table and we finish the adventure and one player looks at the other and says, I don't think we were supposed to win. <laughs> and I just sat back and just crossed my arms and looked at everybody. And everybody just gave me this face of like, like, Oh no, because in a world of grays, sometimes the guy you think is your best friend isn't. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the hardest choice, sometimes the hardest choice is save one. Or save many. Sometimes you could try to pull off. Or sometimes you don't know who you're working for. The world that Henry created and, and that we're like developing around him um, really pushes that. Where even players sitting at the same table could have completely contradictory motives for doing something. But they're technically both right because of their point of view. Oh, yeah. And I love that. And I think... You know, it's obvious that people love stories like that. Just look at movies that are coming out, right? Batman versus Superman, two heroes facing yep. off, Captain America, Civil War. It's the same idea, right? People have different ideals um, that are kind of at odds with each other. And no one's necessarily right or wrong, but it does create interesting drama and conflict. And that's – I love to see that kind of thing, and I love to see – players get involved in that kind of thing especially as the gaming audience has matured and gotten older that that's a really really cool thing to bake into your adventures mm -hmm. yeah absolutely that's that's one of the things that i always tell people is that uh, arcanus is is actually written for adults and it's not because of any adult you know gratuitous sex or 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 you know things of that nature but just because the role playing uh, becomes we have a first of all we are not, we could not be where we are today were it not for our player base. We have some of the best players out there because they really take this at heart. No, at least the majority of them do. And they really weigh their options um, to see how it's going to affect the world uh, of, of their actions. People have sacrificed their characters permanent, per, permanent death. 
uh, mm-hmm. to, to assure that something um, uh, goes one way or the other. It's, it's, those adventures sometimes are, are very difficult to write, especially when the, when you when you've written so many and people start to have expectations, and you try to uh, you know have to come up with something a twist on those on the twist if you know what I mean. Um, but you know, so far everybody's enjoying it, and uh, we're just pushing forward. The last thing is I don't want people to get the idea that it's just a, um, that the only race you can play is humans. Uh, we actually have uh, quite a few different races. Um, we have twists on just about every fantasy race out there. Our elves are not called elves or a lorry. And they have a, an elemental subtype that were a race that were, um, that were honestly, they were a slave race created by the previous force to be reckoned with at the time, which was this um, the Yastramorn Empire. It's um, uh, kind of like a reptilian empire with the uh, serpent men, uh, which we call Sanu, um, Saracens, uh, which is the, the analogs to our lizard men, different types, egg clutches, we call them. And they were fighting this, this, uh, I think it was their fourth war of extinction against, uh, this, this creature called the Ilhuan, uh, the psionically intelligent insect-like creatures. And they needed a, a basically a, a janissary, uh, a slave warrior race. So they threw, long story short, they created this race called the Alori, who eventually supplanted them. They overthrew their, the Esramoran Empire and founded their own empire. Um, and then they were eventually overthrown by humanity when the pantheon of man actually devoured their gods, or the, the Alori gods. Well, it's, it's a nice little, it's a long story there. But anyway, so we also have dwarves. Uh, the dwarves also have a twist. Um, I've always been a big fan of dwarves, and I've always wondered why these little, you know, four-foot people, five-foot people live in humongously vaulted ceilings, you know, vaulted, uh, vaulted uh, uh, palaces and whatnot. That you know the doorways, anybody you know, fifteen feet or, or less could, could fit you know uh, into without without uh, bending their head. Uh, why are they so obsessed with um, with creating magic items and whatnot? So I try to weave a a, uh, a legend to or there are basically a backstory to why they are uh, who they are uh, and why they live as they live. And basically, Lori are were originally celestial giants that were cursed. By one of the gods of man, the the head god, the Zeus analog, if you will, called Alir, and uh, because he uh, they transgressed against, uh, basically they broke his, their their vow to him to protect humanity, and they ended up trying to enslave it. And the gods came down and laid down the smack, and uh, basically shrank it down to the size of the dwarves. And then this other god called, uh, and well, and one of the reasons why they live underground is because Alir is also the sun god, so mm-hmm. to shy away from his, his rays. They live underground. And then this other god called Sarish, uh, who's kind of like the used car salesman of the Pantheon, <laughs> said, said I'll make a deal. You know, you craft the perfect item, and I'll have, and I'll release the, their, um, let me back up. Enclaves are uh, nationalities as far as the dwarves concerned. So basically he said the enclave that produces the perfect item or the perfect something is lost in translation over the, the millennia of what it was that they're supposed to build or a craft, um, will have the curse lifted. So in anticipation of not being, of having the curse lifted, not being crushed in their own, uh, in their own homes. That's why they have these humongously tall, you know, uh, roofs and doorways and whatnot. So, and that's another reason why they produce magic items. Oh, that's awesome. That's really, yeah. really cool. Well, and you, well, you, you know, I think one of the things that's really cool about this setting is that you have a lot of, uh, crunch 
to go along with all this really, really rich flavor and history and cultures and stuff that are going on in the campaign setting as well. Um, so can you talk a little bit about some of the, the major things that you're bringing to, uh, to fifth edition now that Arcanus has gotten an update and that sort of thing? We sp- uh, Henry just spoke about how the gods have different aspects, right? So one thing that we're doing is that when you get the, when we put out the main book for the game, um, you will have, every god will have two aspects, but no two gods are the same. In other words, a healing domain, quote, end quote, of one god will not be like a, a healing domain of another god that might be able to heal. They will have distinct flavor to each one. A cleric of the domain, a dom- with a domain of war. No, you're a cleric of Nair, who is the god of war and battle, who acts differently than Horian, who's the defender of the innocent and also a god of war. They fight completely differently. They have different powers and different sets. So when you play a whole uh, uh, a cleric, they will all feel individual, individual. Also, we're getting rid of the paladin in our world and we're replacing it with the holy champion. Nice. Which is, which is in, its, in its base a very paladin, quote, end quote. When you first create your character, you pick a god. That god gives you your skills and your armor. And then as you advance, when you get to third level, you get to pick an order that you're a member of. Each order has a lot of... They're very different from each other. They have a lot of flavor involved. For example, the Holy Champion of Salue could form armor and weapons out of the ground. They grow up around her. So they're never unarmed. Wow. Well, the god, uh, well, the storm lord of Horian, um, could do an ability called Ride the Lightning, where oh. they drop a lightning bolt and they teleport to where the lightning bolt hits. <laughs> so all of them are really flavorful, where two holy champions, even two holy champions of the same god of two different orders will play very differently. We have a holy champion of Sharish. Uh, which is the, the used salesman, the god, the god of magic and the binder of infernals, where they take on the abilities of an infernal bound into them as they go up in level. So they could grow claws or they could grow wings at one point. Well, that's one holy champion. There's another holy champion order of infernal hunters who are the masters of the bow and the master at range combat. And wow. they hunt and they're hunters of infernals. So they play completely different, yet they're both holy champions. Uh, if I can break in, just just for your uh, listeners uh, who may not uh, be familiar, uh, Infernals for us is the uh, a generic term we use for uh, demons and devils of uh, you know fantasy demons and devils from D and D and whatnot. So. Sure, sure, yeah. yeah what, what are referred to right as uh, infernal or, or fiends, I guess, right? Now. right. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. We we we've, we've always called them infernals. Uh, nice. Because our we don't have like the abyss and the hells where there are two separate, um, you know, the devils and the demons aren't together. No, no, they're all from the same place. That's actually really good because most players just assume they're from the same place anyway. It's only really the people exactly. who get deep into the lore. Uh, that's awesome. That's really really cool. I like that a lot. Yeah. Um, so uh, really, I'm really breaking down the classes and trying to make everything really flavorful. It's not going to be very generic. The sorcerers are, for example, there's going to be a, a sorcerer archetype called the Sorcerer Priest of Sharish, the god of magic, of course, 
would be able to do a little bit of everything. Well, in Arkansas, it's uh, even more so, uh, more important, because magic of a divine nature and magic of our arcane nature are very, very different. Mm. And I made a, a, when we were creating this for, especially for the uh, Arcanist role-playing game system, I want to make sure that everything had a different flavor. And magic comes from uh, basically tapping into the residual energy from uh, creation. Oh. So after, you know, the universe was created and whatnot, that lingering little bits of, of energy that's left over is what a sorcerer taps into. That's quote-unquote magic. Obviously, only certain people have the ability to do so, and even a smaller uh, subset of that have the willpower to actually um, bend it to their will and, and actually make a fireball or an elemental bolt or teleport or whatever it is. Whereas divine magic, you only have to have faith. The divine magic is, is um, basically a spell wrote or formula, if you will, that's been handed down from priest to priest to priest, generation after generation after generation. So you have to basically perform the ritual exactly the same way as, as it was done a thousand years ago. But it has, and it has a, you know, X effect, you know, a flame strike or whatever it is. A sorcerer mm -hmm. has the ability to, um, uh, a little bit more wiggle room so he can manipulate things and maybe make the, uh, um, boost the range or, or the radius or do a little more damage or, or something, you know, he can manipulate it. Whereas a priest cannot. Right. So one is so. more of an exact science. The other is a little bit more of an art. Would you say? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, that is actually a perfect, uh, um, setup for conflict, which I, I've been starting to, to sow the seeds for, but I really haven't uh, tapped into it yet. Um, there's one thing that I wrote, uh, if I remember correctly, something that is like, um, one follows the will of the gods and the other one, um, bends it to, um, bends it to his will or something of that nature, which basically says what I'm, what I was trying to say there is that a, um, a priest could view a sorcerer as a heretic because he's using the power, the gifts of the gods and doing what they, what they will with it mm. rather than doing exactly what they're told to do, you know, with the magic. Right. So, once again, conflict. That hasn't boiled over yet, but for any Arcanist players listening, you'll never know what happens. <laughs> you'll see what happens, I guess. <laughs> Something Which like is going to create an, in an interesting dichotomy because um, the clerics of Sharish bend the rules, and they're part of the church. So there's going to be co conflict there, too. Well, I like that a lot, right? It, it means that, you know, even even within, again, getting into sort of how rich this world is, when you look at our real world, right, there are, there's not just a single Christian religion, right? There's not just a, a single Islamic religion. It, there are sects within sects within sects that all sort of behave differently, and they're at conflict with each other. And then they're also at conflict with other organizations, you know, in the world and, and that kind of thing. So it really does uh, make a lot of sense to have a lot of different little details. And what's great is, right, as a as a DM, you can sort of pull what you want into your campaign. You can leave something behind if you don't want it to get too complicated. But it, threads upon threads for story, conflict, and really interesting adventures within this world, which is amazing. No, no I, I, I was just going to say that you're absolutely right. I'd rather give the, uh, the, the DM 
um, all you know as many uh, things for his arsenal uh, as I can as I can give him, and let uh, him or her choose which ones they want to use. You know, it's all modular. Yeah, I was about to say the same thing that uh, when we create our projects, when Henry writes, uh, for example, the Bustleland book we did a little while ago for our uh, for our our, our uh, system. There's so there are so many adventure hooks and so much conflict that if you read through the book once and you haven't come up with an entire campaign, you weren't paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> and the codex was like that too. I, I still remember the first time that I got the manuscript from Henry. And I read our first world book, which is the Codex Arcanus. I read through the entire thing, and I plotted out an entire three-year campaign for my home game before I was halfway done the book. Nice, nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, so for people out there who, you know, uh, 5e's been out for a while. Some people are probably wrapping mm -hmm. up campaigns, looking to start another one. Other people just picking up D&D for the first time. If they want to set their 5e game in Arcanus, uh, what, what is out there for them that they should pick up, that they should check out? What's coming in the future that they should look forward to? Okay, well, one thing we're working on now uh, is something we're calling the Arcanist Primer. It's going to be a small book, uh, giving you a good little overview of the world, world map, uh, overview of religion, and it's going to have basic rules on how to use the player's handbook in Arcanist for now. It's going to have most of our races. It's going to have uh, the, all the, um, the Holy Champion class with two of the archetypes. It's going to have uh, some spells, and it's going to tell you how to use the domains that are in the player's handbook for Arcanus, and it's also going to give you two of our of our uh, aspect domains. Nice. And it's also going to have our first draft of the Scion, because Psionics and Arcanus is a big deal. Ooh, and we don't really have a Scion yet uh, from, nope. from anybody else. So that is pretty freaking cool. All right, all right. Yeah, so. and, we're, and we're giving that away for free as a PDF. For free, for free. And, and for where free. and when can people get it? Um, I think we were shooting for the end of next month to have it out, right, Henry? Uh, no, no. <laughs> uh, we're shooting, <laughs> no, we're shooting for the, the, before the end of summer. Obviously, if we can get it out sooner, we will. Uh, but right now, we have our hands full with a couple other projects that we're work, working on. Because awesome. along with along with the primer, there's another another facet that, that I think your your uh, listeners would uh, would be interested in, and that is our uh, free uh, living campaign that we put out, uh, Free Adventures. Back in third edition, we gave out uh, over 150 free uh, full adventures, and these are full four hour, some sometimes eight hour. Adventures uh, that can be that were uh, able to be downloaded from the, the website and just played as part of the living campaign, or just you know as part of your home campaign. Uh, we're doing something similar with that. We're bringing back Living at Arcanus, and uh, we're in the middle of uh, right now. We're working on converting a lot of the uh, the adventures that we have uh, into fifth edition, and then um, some soft points, basically introductory adventures, to get you from first to fourth level. And that it's basically almost like a tour around the world. So I, I chose uh, adventures that we wrote that um, that touched upon every single, um, or not every single, but some of the the major um, uh, nations of the world. And then at fourth 
Uh, fourth level, um, you begin what I uh, what we've been playing right now in, in the Arg system, the Arcana system, which is uh, um, a campaign called the Coming of the Destroyer, and that is a well. So far, there's um, ten adventures out. Uh, it will be twelve before it's all said and done of a of a, a story, obviously called the Coming of the Destroyer, uh, which will end at uh, Origins, which is June of uh, this year, 2016. And that's followed immediately by the the sequel to that, that story arc called uh, The War of the Paragons. I can't say too much about that yet. Um, but the point is that uh, as we release these adventures, they'll be on our website. You just go there, download them for free, and uh, run them in conjunction or by using the primer that Pete was talking about. So obviously we have to have both out at the same time for, for people to, to uh, maximize the use. Nice, nice. That's really, really yep. cool. Plus, there's a whole back catalog of stuff probably that, that people can go through if they wanted to get started reading about the world and that kind of thing. I'm yeah. sure they could check oh, yeah. out all the material made for 3rd edition as well. Absolutely. Yep. Which which is a nice little segue to the big project we're working on right now called Forge the Magic. Hmm. <laughs> Forge of Magic is our is going to be our very first official fifth edition product, nice. and what it is is a uh, with over four hundred. Actually, it's closer to five hundred, but you know I don't want to over uh, or I don't want to exaggerate or <laughs> overcommit. So for right now, um, I want to say over four hundred brand new magic items. Wow! And these magic yeah. items, yeah, these magic items um, are. You know, fit all the categories that you would expect, such as uh, potions, wondrous items, uh, magical weapons, magical armor, shields, rods, staves, you know, the, the usual gamut. But we also are adding um, weapons of war, as we call them, um, magical siege weapons, uh, magical trappings, um, things of that nature, uh, along with, uh, hopefully, we'll be adding a... Um, a rune magic system, which uh, Pete is developing right now, uh, for fifth edition, uh, that complements, not replaces, but complements, and is used in, in conjunction with the current fifth edition magic system. And Pete will talk about that in a minute. But basically, uh, Forge of Magic, besides just being a catalog of 400 plus magic items, just about every single magic item has some sort of history or background. Because magic items should be special. Now, granted, there's some magic items like potions and and um, and expendables, as we call them, that really don't need you know to be considered legendary. But you know, King Arthur had one magical magical sword, and he didn't replace it to upgrade. You know, when he when he found a better, <laughs> you know, he had Excalibur, and that well, that was his his weapon. So we give you, along with the list of magic items, we also give you a little primer on what we believe. Um, GMs should uh, add to their their little um, uh, bag of tricks, which is naming magic items. You know, don't give out a, a weapon, a plus one sword. You know, give out um, you know the screaming the screaming sword, or give out uh, you know um, uh, I don't know the, the the mace of the first emperor. I just made that up for those arcaniacs. No, there is no mace of the first emperor. Don't don't flip. <laughs> uh, I was about to get inundated with text. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we have some players that, that listen to listen to and dissect everything I say, so I want to make sure to give a little disclaimer. Of course, um, of course. Yeah, there's a big, there's a big 
secret of who the first emperor is. So they're, they're trying to piece it together. That's, that's why. Anyway, my point is that um, doing so gives you a little bit of, um, of history. So not only do you have the cool weapon that does the effect, but now you know, hey, this was wielded by so-and-so, or this did you know, such and such. All those, all the backstories and all the little stories that go with these, uh, these magic items are obviously steeped in Arcanist lore uh, or set in the Arcanist setting. However, it's a very, very, and I've had a lot of people do it already. A uh, very simple thing to do is to strip away uh, that, that bit of lore, you know, swap out some names for other names um, for your favorite published campaign or your, or your favorite home campaign. Uh, so this is a book that's, that's of use to anyone and everyone. Not just those playing Arcanus, but anybody playing any of the other published uh, or uh, home campaigns out there. Yeah, it sounds, uh, you know, anybody could use it. You're absolutely right. So uh, whether or not you're playing in this world, and it sounds like you should definitely play in this world, um, this is a book that will be of use to you. Well, here's the thing. Um, although the manuscript is, is done, uh, we're tweaking it, we're adding a couple things here. Um, getting art and obviously printing is a very expensive proposition and we are a small company. So we're going to be doing a Kickstarter for this probably later on this month. Uh, this month being April, if anybody's listening after, after the fact, <laughs> April, 2016, we'll be launching a Kickstarter for this. With that, it will allow us to expand the book. We're, we're keeping it at a modest 160 pages at the moment, but with stretch goals, we can expand it 192 or even, or even larger. And it is a full color book, so all the uh, all the um, art and whatnot will be in color. And it comes to we're starting off with softback, but one of the stretch goals that we want to hit is, of course, the hardback version. Depending on how much extra stuff we add and whatnot, it depends on when when the the book will come out. It will definitely come out no matter no matter how big it gets, because I'm capping at a certain limit, um, <laughs> and, and I do not want to go over. But even if we max out everything, it will come out before the end of the year. So uh, we are talking about a really, really great book that's going to be coming out. It sounds like a great product that, like you said, uh, is good for all tables. Uh, if you need magic items, this is a great place to go. And, you know, the, the Dungeon Master's Guide has the old classics. Uh, if you want those gauntlets of ogre power, you know where to get them. But it would be nice to have something new, something fresh to bring out at the table. And this is what I'm talking about right here. 400 yeah. magic items. I will take that all day. All day. Um, so, well, I, I should... I should tell you about the rune system. Yeah, yeah, yeah do it. So the rune system, right? Uh, we originally developed it for the ARG system, but we're bringing it to 5th edition. Uh, the way it works is uh, it only works on non-magical weapons, armor, or wands. But you could, if you find it, a weapon with it, you could inscribe a rune onto the item. It gives it a magical ability. So, for example, a, uh, a rune of precision will give you a plus one to hit. While a rune of, uh, let me think of one that we have, uh, okay, rune of the avalanche. If you have it on a weapon and you hit somebody with a critical, you throw them back 10 feet. Nice. That's awesome. I love that. Oh, the cool thing about, the cool thing about rune, you could transcribe the rune from one item to another. In other words, if you, you know, you find a sword that has this great history, but it's non-magical and you have a weapon that has the rune, you could go to a runesmith and have the rune transferred over. Nice. But what runes do is, depending on where the rune is, the rune has a different effect. So if you have the rune on a wand, it acts differently than it does on a sword or it does on your armor. That's awesome. So that, yeah. I mean, essentially, when we're talking about rune magic items, then 
one rune gets you a bunch of different magic items. Um, you know, uh, well, yes and no because it depends on where it is. If you're wearing, for example, the fire rune, if it's on a weapon, your weapon does a little bit of fire damage. But if it's on your armor, you gain resistance against fire damage. Exactly, exactly. So that's, I mean, that's one rune, but it's really two different magic items depending on uh, exactly, it, which is great. Which is great. I yep. love that. I love it a ton. Uh, well, so if, if people want to know when this Kickstarter is going to drop, I think, like, where should they go? Where should people follow you guys if they want to find out more information on all of the great products that are going to be coming out of Paradigm? Well, we have a website, uh, obviously, uh, www.paradigmconcepts.com. And that's all one word, P-A-R-A. D as in dog, I-G-M, C-O-N-C-E-P-T-S dot com. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook under the same name, Paradigm Concepts. And we'll be posting something on there, obviously, on the website. Um, once I have a, a set date where I know it's going to be, uh, be launching, I'll be plastering that on the website and on the Facebook page. Awesome. Awesome. So people should definitely go to follow you there. Uh, and I know we're running short on time, but before we go, uh, could you just give me the elevator pitch for rotted capes? I love this idea so much. I love yeah. it so much. Oh, I love rotted capes. <laughs> so rotted capes is basically what would happen if in a world of superheroes, oh, let me do it with my Mr. Movie phone in a world of superheroes. Uh-huh. <laughs> One man is bitten, dies, and rises again. Anyway, the, the, the point is, what would happen if a zombie apocalypse occurred on a, on a world filled with superheroes and supervillains? The virus won. The zombies won. And the actual world falls apart. And what we did with Rotted Caves, as opposed to our Arcanus and uh, Witch Hunter worlds, is instead of giving you a set world... Like, here's Arcanus, and here are the parameters and whatnot, or here's Witch Hunter. Uh, what we did with Rotted Capes was tell you, here's all your tools of what you can use to make your own world. Because we anticipated that a lot of people might have their own favorite superhero campaigns that they've played before or in the middle of play. Maybe something from uh, Champions or Muse and Masterminds or something of that nature that they can then pick up and and um, either use what we have in uh, in Rotted Capes for, for their campaigns or, um, vice versa, or alternatively, port their game over into Rotted Capes. Hmm. So the difference, though, is that instead of just having, okay, so we have superheroes and we have a bunch of zombies, mindless people just you know eating things and whatnot. What we did was we said, okay, superheroes and those superheroes who are actually uh, either mutate, uh, they're mutants or they're mutated in some way or they're enhanced or whatnot, their genetic code has been slightly changed from the normal human. So when the Z virus interacts with that, instead of making them normal zombies, you know, mindless and whatnot, what it does is it still, you know, they still die from this and they rise. But instead of being mindless, uh, what it does is it scrub away, it scrubs away the, uh, the higher brain, brain functions um, where you can tell the difference between good and evil. And all you're all you're concerned with is just eating, and that's your imperative. You are the the apex predator. You're at the top of the food chain, but you still have all your superpowers. You know how to use them. You remember the people that you fought with or you fought against, their abilities and their tactics, and now you can plot. So you have a, a super intelligence, or not super intelligence, but an intelligent zombie 
has all his abilities and knows how to use them, but all he wants to do is eat you. So Amazing. Amazing. It is so anyway. cool. <laughs> yeah, because basically, the way we wrote the story, you're playing the sidekick. Right. You're not even the main heroes. You're the, you're the sidekicks that are left, because during the zombie apocalypse, the heroes looked at you and said, you saved the bystanders. We'll stop the zombies. And they failed. And you're the only ones left. <laughs> so you're t- you're talking about your your you know your B and C list superheroes have to save the yes. world. Yes, or or remember, we even have a flaw. You could be an ex villain <laughs> who's That's like awesome. who's like, okay, the world's going to hell, but I want to take over the world. <laughs> Damn it, I have to save it now. <laughs> right, right. There will be nothing left to take yeah. over. Right. <laughs> exactly, and not only that. But when it, when when we did the story for Rotted Cape, the zombies aren't the only bad guys. Because we even have enclaves, uh, which are um, you know uh, little pat- groups of survivors that are being led by like a villain who's just ha- enslaved everyone there and is holding everybody there like a protection racket, saying you have a choice: you serve me or I throw you to the zombies. <laughs> well, when your heroes come across this guy. You know, sometimes the human the, the the humans are worse than the zombies. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that. That I, and that makes perfect sense, right? We're we're even seeing that now um, in a lot of yep. long running zombie media. So, but you guys did it first. One of the things that a lot of our players for Rodicapes have wanted is a GM screen with that beautiful threefold uh, um, battle of the the heroes versus the super zombies. Yes. So, but we've always been, um, we've always had the inability to do, do that because of the cost. Uh, the printers that we've spoken about wanted, you know, ridiculous quantities, you know, 5,000 or whatever, and the price was, was astronomical. But we finally found a gentleman who does a fantastic job, and uh, we're actually offering them uh, for 20 bucks. So, uh, but if you want them, we're, it's a limited quantity type thing. So if your listeners are listening and, and are interested in a GM screen for their Water Capes campaign, they can head over to the website. I have pictures up there of the GM screen, what it looks like. And we'll be taking pre-orders because we're basically uh, printing to order uh, for this. So, yeah. Well, people should check all of that out. We're going to link everything we talked about here over in the show notes for this episode over at thetomeshow.com. We, too, will help you shout about your Kickstarter once it goes live uh, because it sounds awesome, and we definitely want people to mm-hmm. check it out. We did this thing called the Codex Arcanus, which is basically almost like a world, pretty much the world setting for the third edition. So, And the reason it's out of date on a few things is because we were going for D&D, so there are a lot of what I call D&D-isms. Like sure. orcs or what? Really, you know, we've been we've scrubbed those out now, and, and now we have more distilled uh, arcanus. But it still gives you a very good overview. If you like, I'll be more than happy to to offer that to your to you, so you can give it away to your um, to your listeners free. Yeah, absolutely. That's super generous. Thank you. We that's, would love that. Yeah, that's a two hundred fifty six page um, um, PDF. So. Yeah. It'll be- it's a fantastic read. Uh, that so, would be I- amazing. Thank you yeah. so much. Just as long as you, you just let them know that uh, this was written way back when, when we were just starting out, and we're a lot better at writing. <laughs> so, uh, as soon as we hang up, I'll send you the PDF. Uh, Henry and Pete, thank you so much for being on the roundtable today. Dude, and thank you for having us. Thank you very much.
All right, everybody. Now I am here with game designer Mike Mylar. Mike, welcome to the roundtable. It's great to have you here today. Uh, thank you. I'm happy to be here. Mike, uh, we are going to talk about this awesome, awesome Kickstarter project you have that's getting a lot of buzz. Uh, it is live uh, at the at right now, so if people want to go check it out, they can go search for Mists of Akuma on Kickstarter, or they can head over to thetomeshow.com and click on the links in the show notes for this episode and find our direct link to your Kickstarter there if they want to donate, because we are going to talk about how cool everything is and get them pumped up. Uh, but before we do that, before we tell the listeners all about this awesome project. Let's tell them how awesome you are. Uh, why don't you give them a little bit of uh, a taste of some of your credits, uh, things that you've worked on as a game designer? Okay. Uh, well, first I'd say they can also go to www.missifakuma.com. Oh, perfect. Uh, perfect. Yes. Go there. I got to work for Paizo, uh, the Heroes of the Streets book, and then the Inner Sea Monster Codex. I got to work on those. Um, it's a dream come true. I got to work on uh, the Black Crusade RPG. Which is oh. where you play like uh, evil, evil individuals in the Warhammer Forty Thousand universe. Uh, that was published by Fantasy Flight Games, and they also just published me in their uh, World Source book for Android, which is uh, or the Netrunner. The Netrunner card game has a World Source book that I'm in. Uh, I worked for Ian Publishing. I made now for the uh, What's Old Is New RPG nice. and a number of the titles. Uh, and I'm in. Uh, if you're, if you uh, have any followers who are uh, on the Ian Cider Patreon, of course, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got to write a couple of articles for them, and I have a couple more in the queue. Um, golly, it's the number of third-party publishers I've worked for like uh, wanders up into the dozens. And then I have uh, two previous Kickstarters before this one. Uh, one called Verantia Codex, which was my home campaign setting. We got about uh, ten thousand dollars or nine thousand dollars. And made uh, four hundred no, sorry, three hundred eighty-six page book. Um, and then uh, full colors, it's amazing. And then there's uh, the second one was Hypercore twenty ninety-nine, uh, which we got uh, eight thousand dollars for, and uh, that will be releasing in uh, in this month. Wow. That's awesome. It's really, really cool to meet someone who is full-time pursuing game design and uh, getting a lot of stuff done. Your products are amazing. You've worked on big things. You've worked on smaller things. You're working on uh, hot new titles. It is really, really a pleasure to have you here. Uh, in fact, we got to get you back, bring you on a Gamer to Gamer podcast and uh, so we can sort of talk about everything you've done because that would be amazing. Um, but let's talk about the Mists of Akuma Kickstarter. So, in a nutshell, what is Mists of Akuma? In a nutshell, Mists of Akuma is like Rokugan and uh, Sin City and Warhammer 40,000 rolled into one one ball. Or uh, Afro Samurai and uh, Ravenloft. Yeah, just Afro Samurai and Ravenloft. I'm in. I'm in. That sounds amazing. Uh, and this is for the uh, fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons rule set, right? It is for D and D fifth, and we're we're trying to figure out where we might do conversions because it's looking like we're going to have stretch goals to to push through. Um, well, we're considering cipher. We're considering uh, what's old is new, and then we're also. Uh, I just got an email earlier today about uh, Shadows of the Demon Lord, which I think would be about a hundred percent perfect. Yeah, but. Uh, yeah, right? Because, like, Mr. Vakuma is about... It's it's not a happy place. It's not a good place. It's not where you want to take vacation. Uh, most people who play in, like, an Eastern setting for D&D 5e would probably going to use the honor system in DMG, right? Which is great. Use the honor system. You know, good for you. 
have a good time with that. Nobody in Mists of Akuma is really honorable. And even if they are, they might not be thought to be honorable because the operating mechanics are, like, there's two new attributes. One is called Dignity and the other one's called Hitoku. Uh, and it's called Dignity because it's not actually like a measure of how honorable you are. It's a measure of how honorable people think that you are. So you could be a completely despicable individual and have a very high dignity score, and society is going to think you're awesome. And then the other one is Haitoku, and Haitoku is like a measure of how much you've allowed yourself to be uh, worn down and turned cynical and uh, pragmatic by the world, and you can like resist unconsciousness and do a whole bunch of other crazy stuff with Haitoku. But if your Haitoku gets too high and you encounter the Mists of Kuma, there's a chance that you'll change into uh, a Dedo Oni and lose control of your character and become a monster that rampages across the countryside. Whoa, I love that. That is amazing. So so it's not your your typical um, Far East setting, shall we say. Absolutely not your typical Far East setting. Although, if you really wanted to, you might be able to strip... No, 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 it's not your typical <laughs> Far East setting. You'll find good stuff in there if you're looking for like feats and equipment and stuff, but yeah. Yeah, no, it's 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 very noir, and there's elements of steampunk. Although I want to point out the technology isn't totally embraced because uh, in Soberin, which is the continent on which Miss of Kuma takes place, every hundred years, like in Japanese folklore, uh, there's a chance that an item will uh, like become self-aware and turn into a creature called a Tsukumugami. And uh, a lot of the backstory to Miss of Kuma and Soberin involves violent wars. So people are totally... Not cool with having war machines around because they invariably wake up and are very angry and deadly Tsukumugami. And so technology is heresy. So there's steampunk there, but it's not like a, it's not overwhelming. Mm -hmm. Uh, The noir part is totally overwhelming. Well, and it sounds great because it sounds like what you've actually done is is the overwhelming part is is the story, the feel of this world. You know, um, you you really get immersed in it because that noir feel is overwhelming. And then you've also got some steampunk elements going on, which really make it sound like a, a super fun, exciting world. There's also a lot of possibilities, a lot of open places for uh, GMs to play. Um, it feels like when you get this book, it's just uh, filled, filled. You you showed me a little bit of a preview of what you've got going on there. It feels like it's filled with all kinds of great ideas for campaigns, quests, story arcs, that kind of thing. Um, how much of this book has been inspired by some piece of either real world or fictional culture, and how much is it you know your original ideas being brought to the table? The idea for it started with me being like, what if you know Commodore Perry sailed into Edo Harbor, and there was magic there to greet him. Uh, for those who are, are not world historians, uh, in 1854, Matthew Commodore C. Perry uh, sailed in on like steel gunships into Edo, which is now Tokyo, and pointed basically at the Imperial Palace and was like, hey, uh, your you know 300-year period of isolation under the Tokugawa era is over. You're going to trade with the United States. Uh, and that like started this thing called the Meiji Restoration, and ultimately has something to do with World War II. But for my purposes, that's where like there's this really long three-century period in Japan where uh, culture was insular, and like the only foreigners really allowed on the mainland, I think it was Portuguese. No, it's Dutch. Portuguese accidentally landed there, and they were the first ones to introduce guns. It's like three dudes, but the Dutch actually traded with Japan. Um, so a lot of really weird and awesome things happened. Uh, and then, like, when America showed up, we we messed a lot of that up. What if, 
you know, what if magic was there whenever America came to uh, came to stomp around? And then I was like, well, of course, you know, if there's magic there, then they're not going to be able to do it. So then they need to have something, you know, something extra. And then I got the idea to like make them like electro punk and like way more advanced. And then it it all just built forward from there. So it's inspired from real world events. Oh, and all the folklore too. Yeah. Yeah. All the, (laughs) like we got Kappa, like 27 races, I think 27 races and sub races. Uh, So we have like Bakamono, Shikome. All of the all of the monsters and creatures so far are drawn from uh, actual real world mythology and folklore, with the exception of like the the undead electric ninja people, and or the undead electric people. They're not all ninjas, and then uh, the, like the robots uh, from Ceramia that like make it across the Great Divide. Probably thirty percent historical content, and then maybe twenty percent stuff I like from other. Other uh, works of fiction, and then fifty percent uh, crazy Mike. <laughs> well, that's great. It sounds like it's an awesome blend of stuff. And you you mentioned how many you know uh, races and things like that you're generating. What else? What kind of crunch stuff is in there for players to get their hands on? You talked about feats, magic items. It sounds like there is a lot of stuff that people could mine from this book for uh, you know various settings. Maybe you're playing just kind of a noir heavy setting. Maybe you're playing you know a more traditional. Eastern fantasy setting. Maybe you are playing in a steampunk world. I think there are things that people can pull out of these books and mine. Although I will say they should really spend some time with the Mists of Akuma because it is an amazing world. So what other crunch stuff do we have going on? Oh, well, we should open up with saying that there's four free PDF. Like the, the things we're talking about right now are totally free. You can go download them off the uh, site. Yes, um, yeah. So go to mistsofakuma.com and download those because it'll give you a great taste what you're getting when you buy into the Kickstarter. Uh, so all the stuff we got, there's last time I counted, I think it was like 15 different class options. And that ranges from like being a, basically a steampunk cyborg, a ninja or fighter to being a detective to uh, like being a scroll mage to uh, we we're bringing back the tattooed monk. Uh, our version of the samurai is a sacred oath. That's what they're paladins. Uh, there's Sukumogami Hunter Wujens, which uh, instead of making uh, wizards like in you know Oriental Adventures, which was also a big inspiration for this, obviously, um, we made them warlocks because it's a dark world. And uh, so far, the response to the warlock has been really good. Uh, herbalists, kami clerics, uh, martial artists, which are the guys who focus on the martial arts stance feats, because in addition to the feats like uh, getting uh, an ancestral weapon that you can gradually imbue with power with, uh, via worship and uh, ritual and like uh the, the sleuth feet yeah yeah the uh it's like a it's a detective feat where you can get a little help from the gm and uh, if you spend like one of these special sleuth points it will allow you to figure out the next place to go uh, whether that place is like the end game thing or if it's just like another way to get into the story it always will give you a location where an encounter can occur. Swordmaster, yeah, Katana. Oh, yeah, and the martial arts dance feet, right. So um, there's a dozen a dozen or so different martial arts stance feats uh, to like uh, make it a little more exciting for martial characters and bring in some elemental play. And they all get like additional abilities on top of that. Uh, but one of the things about all those races is that a lot of them have uh, vulnerability to one or another energy. And the martial arts stance feats are a way for uh, players to mitigate that because I know people don't necessarily want to be taking double damage from acid or fire or what have you. 
Of course, of course. Yeah, yeah. Well, that sounds um, really, really awesome. Like, you've got a lot of really cool stuff going on in there. So what should people do? if they? So they've checked out your, your free stuff and they want to get more. Um, what's the best way for them to contribute to this Kickstarter? What are your different levels uh, that you're offering? Well, I know that there's – at this particular moment that we're recording this, we have a design meeting on Friday between four team, and then we're going to pick out all our artists' design meeting. So I don't have my final budget. I have like an idea of what's that. I don't want to say it because it, it might totally. be different from, you know, after the fact. And then we'll figure out the exact pledge levels. But there will be a low-level pledge goal where you can get a PDF of the book. And anybody who gets a PDF of the book will get a print-on-demand voucher for the book. And we'll explain that in a second. Uh, after that, it becomes mostly about like contributing material to the book. So there are 23 different prefectures, the Imperial Prefecture, and then the 22 clans of the Imperial siblings. Each one of those has a Bengoshi. Bengoshi are like government agents who can, who have like extraordinary legal powers and can, you know, declare that you're just going to go to jail for a long time uh, because they are Bengoshi. And uh, they get the ability to deputize, uh, you know, folk and citizens to do stuff for the state to try to keep order as the Miss of Akuma throw sober into havoc. Uh, each one of the prefectures will have a Bengoshi built and also a Bengoshi henchman. Uh, and then on top of that, there's like a large section of Oni, as well as Imperial Dragons. And uh, if we have the room for it, we'll be doing stats for like Yai Kings, which are, uh, we'll have a couple of Oni Lords along with the Oni, who are like basically kings of the wilderness. Mm-hmm. And then the Yai Kings are uh, the kings of those kings. So, I mean, really it depends on how far we get for funding for how much awesome stuff we can put in there. And uh, all of those things, like the Oni Warlords, a uh, pledge level. Bengoshi build is a pledge level. Bengoshi henchman is a pledge level. And uh, Imperial Dragons are also a pledge level, although they are all limited. Uh, there won't be more than 10 available Bengoshi pledge levels, for instance, because, you know, I need to have my, my core team to be able to write most of that. <laughs> um, so, you know, if, if, if that sounds like it's interesting to you, uh, definitely get to the Kickstarter page immediately and uh, find if there is a, a right option. What, what is your your base product? If this Kickstarter funds, what are we looking at? What do people get in this awesome PDF? Okay, well, I'm glad that you brought that up because I was going to explain the POD voucher thing. So um, I've done two Kickstarters. One of them was Varanthia Codex. The other one is Hyper 29, right? Mm-hmm. 29, we had print orders up front, uh, which is great and very appetizing to, to me as a backer. But as a publisher, uh, they have already jumped price for printing on me three times, I think, now. And to the tune of because I am covering for you know hundred like hundred plus books, uh, that adds up to eat a, eat away from what whatever profits I got out of it. And I spent a lot of money on art and writing and stuff like that. So uh, because I don't want to have that limitation, and then for example, Vrantia Codex, we just did a voucher, and we promised uh, I think it was a two hundred page book. We promised, and I delivered a three hundred eighty three page. And uh, it would have been impossible for me to do that if I'd taken print orders because the additional money required to, like, add all those pages of the book is, like, maybe, I think it might have been $7 extra, uh, which is nothing for, like, an individual who has already pledged 25 right? Like, I would I would be all over that as a guy who has to, you know, do 100 of those, 100 times 6 is $600. Uh, which changes everything, and and like that could that could go up if the price of ink goes up, or the price of glue goes up, the price of paper goes up, or the uh, the bookmaker decides that they need a bigger cut, or you know increase the cost of their services. So um, 
we are giving out POD vouchers with the PDF pledge levels. And uh, I mean, I'm saying I want to make a 200 page book and in my head, I've already got, I've already got some like groundwork for how that could become a 300 page book. So really it just depends on how much, how much money we're sitting with on, you know, May, May 14th, when all the Kickstarter funds are, uh, are transferred from Amazon and the payments come in and all that stuff. But at least, at least 200 pages. And, Ideally, with all original artwork. That's the main purpose of Kickstarter. Nice, nice. Yeah, so it's already a really, really good value. Low-level buy-in, you get a PDF, you get that print-on-demand voucher, um, and you're going to get something really awesome. Plus, we know this uh, Kickstarter already has a lot of buzz, so odds are you're going to get more than you bargained for. Um, although, I don't want to put the cart before the horse for you there, uh, Mike. But, uh, but yeah, I think it's... So good at putting the cart before the horse. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, this, uh, this sounds really, really fun, really, really exciting uh what other names obviously we have uh the great mike mylar working on this uh who else do you know uh who is working on this that you can tease people with sure um my publisher jason sonia did uh he owns storm bunny studios and uh this month they're releasing rune uh dawn of twilight this is great steam electropunk norse uh setting for pathfinder rpg uh and it's one of the reasons i decided to do with him because like it has its own honor system and there are a lot of parallels between the two he is involved and uh writing stuff and you know, being a great soundboard and uh, a good fellow generally um my editor is this great dude named michael mccarthy he does all the art direction for ian cider and trail seeker and uh he writes for paizo and a lot of other and a lot of third-party companies uh he's super polite and uh he's my editor and uh, a writer designer He's my editor because he's like the most polite and nice person I've ever met in my life, like to a fault. Nice. Yeah, he's he's, he's a good friend to have. Yeah, uh, yeah. There's a lot of great people like that in this community, which is uh, it's. I'm glad to hear you're working with him. That's great. Oh yeah, no, I love Mike. Uh, the other guy I'm crazy about is Luis Loza. He also does a lot of work for Paizo, uh, and we are always trying to figure out what the hell he does to make such amazing content, like. Does he go into the future and steal my ideas? <laughs> like, it's it's just uncanny. I think the first time ever in, like, now three years of working with him, he sent me something where I wanted to change something. And this is, like, the 10th project or something. He's just a consummate designer and writer. It's, it's insane. We, uh, I have a, this not edited novel I need to put all the edits in for and get to the publisher. And Luis wrote a chapter of it. And by the time I, I was done with this chapter, I was like, I was like crying like a baby. It was ridiculous. It was so good. Um, and then rounding out the core team is Savannah Broadway, who was a Paizo intern and uh, works with me on worked with me on Hypercore and uh, a couple of other small things. She is a great lady, and I I always feel ridiculous whenever I put a, together a design team and it's all dudes. So mm-hmm. uh, I was happy to have like uh, such a talented and wonderful uh, woman join. And then as for stretch goals, uh, the first one is um, the DM from my youth, a guy named uh, Chris Rippey. He's been running games for like 30 years or something crazy. <laughs> and he's, he's awesome. Like one time he ran a 44-hour game for me and a friend who was moving <laughs> and his brother. And I was like, that, that's, that's how good Chris is. He can keep you strung along for like 44 hours. Um, I'm really excited about what he's, he's coming up with. It's called Will of the Pale Master. And uh, is definitely iconic of Mr. Cohen. 
And then uh, we're working out something for you to do, James, which I'm pretty excited about. All your ideas are pretty good. We're going to hash them out in the uh, design meeting on a Friday and see which ones resonate best with everyone else. Oh my gosh. Thank you. Thank you so much. And uh, I would, I would mention to our listeners uh, all the more reason to go donate uh, to keep this podcast host in business. Uh, so uh, I'd love to hit those stretch goals. Um, so, uh, you know, but uh, this is going to be an amazing Kickstarter. People should go donate just because of that. But then also, you know, you want to help me out there, people, not a bad way to do it. So <laughs> maybe we can even work in some kind of extra pledge level where like uh, if we were to do the Imperial siblings thing, then maybe like, you know, one of your listeners could work with you to create like a cool uh, one or two cool legendary, or, I'm sorry, Imperial siblings weapons or or something. I don't know. I would like that a lot. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. We could work something out like that. Uh, so I'm down if you're down, Mike. Let me see. I'm still working out a couple of other other people. Um, uh, Rich Howard worked on Hypercore with me, uh, and I really like Rich. He's an amazing human being. So there's a chance we might bring him along. That would be and great. Then, love Rich. Love Rich. He's awesome. Yeah. He is. He is a plus material, and uh, just generally a great guy. Um, Rob Schwab got back to me. Uh, he might design a demon or two. Uh, ah, the demon lord himself. That would be amazing. Yeah, I figured put it right near the the stretch goal for licensing to Shadows of the Demon Lord, and uh, I would. Li- and he worked on D and D five, and he's also an excellent human being. I met him like my first time visiting at uh, Gen Con, and uh, very much the kind old uh, old hand. I liked him a lot. Yeah. He's very earnest. Yeah, uh, he's I- a great dude. Really, really great dude. Um, and other than that, I mean, like, I'm I'm positive we're going to have more, but I didn't want to start reaching out to a bunch of people until I, you know. I've got my, my freaking initial funding goal set into concrete. Um, so maybe we can provide a list to put on the page uh, with the podcast whenever, because I, I should have it by then. Nice. Nice, dude. Well, uh, that is, those are uh, some great names uh, and my own uh, on that, that list, which is awesome. Uh, and I, like I said, I can't wait to get my hands on this. I think it's a great time to get something like this because I feel like we've all been playing our games since 5e launched in some more traditional fantasy worlds. You know, lots of adventures for Forgotten Realms have been out there for a while and DM's Guild, everything's for Forgotten Realms and Ravenloft and that kind of thing. So it'll be great to step out of that world with 5th edition and step into something different. And I think Miss of Akuma really gives people an opportunity to check out that world. Uh, so uh, before we go, Mike, uh, I'll certainly ask you where people can find you, but is there anything else about Miss of Akuma you want to talk about? I think the thing I'm most excited for about Miss of Akuma is getting to make the art. I am I, I like I we have a lot of great art in the Varanti Codex. There was uh really, really like stunning stuff for uh Hypercore. And um Claudio Posis did the uh the cover for Hypercore twenty ninety nine, uh which is just I haven't I can't reveal it publicly until it goes for sale, but it is uh like I, I wanna get a poster on it on my wall with nice. it. And I've like looked into actual options for it, and now I'm just trying to save money to like, you know, take all my pocket change down to the, the Xerox store and put it on my wall. Uh, but he's going to come back for uh, Miss of Akuma and uh, ideally we'll get him like into the initial funding. Goal. Nice. Yeah. Nice. That'd be I, awesome. I can't imagine like what on earth he's going to do with like steampunk and, and uh, samurai and ninjas and stuff. Like uh, I know whatever I imagine in my head will just pale in comparison to what Claudio actually ends up doing. Yeah. Uh, he's, well, he's like the artist working in RPGs right now. That's amazing. He's a, he is, he's yeah. Cool. He's Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, a bunch of D&D stuff. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. No, I, I got into contact with him whenever I did uh, Steak of Vampire for Yen World. And uh, thank you again, Morris, for putting me in contact with Claudio, man. That was awesome. <laughs> nice, nice. Well, I, I mean, this sounds amazing. Uh, people should go check it out. So uh, if people are ready to take action, uh, what's the best way for them to uh, find out more other than obviously go to the Kickstarter, which we already talked about, will be linked in the at thetomeshow.com. It'll be linked over at mistsofakuma.com, or you could search for Mists of Akuma on Kickstarter. What are some other ways people can follow you, find out what you're up to, look at some of your other great products oh they could friend me on facebook um uh, i think it's like facebook.com slash mike.myler.adventures or something to that effect um you can't miss it I, there's a picture of me like blue hair and uh, like a gun in a like trench coat it looks all cyberpunky that's the one uh, uh my twitter handle is mike myler two uh you can catch some of my twitch stuff on uh, twitch.tv slash mike myler two um also on youtube where you will find some like actual play stuff uh, recorded through Twitch. And uh, I would say that uh, anybody who's interested should keep coming back to MrFakuma.com because throughout the uh, Kickstarter campaign, every other day, like in addition to the four pre- free preview PDFs, every other day we're going to release like a short story uh, from one of five characters in Akuma, And uh, it, it colors in a lot of uh, and informs you a lot about the world. And they're all really awesome from what I've read so far. I'm waiting on like a couple more drafts, but um, the short stories themselves are all very compelling and well written. Uh, so I can't wait for this and for all of the other work that you do. So um, it's really been a pleasure having you here on the roundtable today. People, please check out Mike Mylar. He has some of the coolest stuff out there going on. Check out Miss of Akuma. Make sure you hit up that Kickstarter. Um, you're at least going to want to check out these free previews, which are amazing. Uh, Mike, thank you so much for being on the roundtable today. Oh, no, thank you for having me and all the kind words. And I would be super stoked to come back and just, you know, hang out and talk shop. There we go. That's how they say it. <laughs> yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we can totally shoot the S uh, and uh, and talk about how everything's going. So um, be sure you will see this man back as a panelist to discuss D&D news. And I'm sure in the future with even more awesome products. And before we go, there's a final segment we've started doing every week here on the roundtable. We're highlighting a different DMs Guild product every week. This week's highlighted DMs Guild product is... Inuria, Survivor State of Netheril, from Pierre Labrie. Inuria's Survivor State of Netheril is a campaign expansion set in the arcane age of Forgotten Realms. It details one of the three Survivor States of Fallen Netheril. This pay-what-you-want product details the history and locations of both Anoria in its time as an Netherese enclave during the height of ancient Netheril, as well as its time following the fall of Netheril. It also includes short ideas for adventures set in Inoria and one new spell for 5e. You can pick up this pay-what-you-want PDF at the DMs Guild. Guys, it is pretty cool. If you're a Forgotten Realms head, you're definitely going to want to pick this up. It's called Anoria Survivor State of Nethril. There's a direct link over in the show notes at thetomeshow.com for this product. And it's pay-what-you-want, so go grab it.
Thanks to my guests, Rudy Basso, Pedro Baranachea, Henry Lopez, and Mike Mylar. All right, everyone, you can find me on Twitter at James Intracasso. That's at J-A-M-E-S-I-N-T-R-O-C-A-S-O. Also, you can check out my blog, which is all about Exploration Age, the 5th edition world I'm building over at worldbuilderblog.me. There's tons of free resources for your D&D 5e games there, as well as information about other projects I'm working on. Okay, everybody, thanks for listening. Special thanks to Jeff Griner for letting us join the Tome Show lineup. Our theme music, which you're listening to right now, was composed by Eric Michaels. Don't forget to go to thetomeshow.com and use the affiliate links whenever you shop on Amazon or the DMs Guild to help support the show. And hey, if you like the show, please rate the Tome Show on iTunes and like us on Facebook. Keep on rolling and keep on listening to the Roundtable.